I was going to talk about Revelation because I've been itching to talk about that a lot. But we're already, what, an hour and something into it? <laughs> right. That's okay. I was going to just go where I was, I was going right? to joke with everybody and say that I was going to tell you, you know, when Jesus is returning. <laughs> right? And, and when the last days in, in the end times are. What's yeah, get ready. Get ready. That's the day. You're, go, you're going to know. He's coming tonight. Keep looking up. You're going to want to know this. I've spent many years my whole life trying to figure it out. In the fullness of times. Wow. Yep. <laughs> 1988. In the fullness of times, Jesus is, uh, will will return. Um, but the 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 book of Revelation, I don't want to. We don't have enough time for me to go verse by verse. And so, something I don't like to do is I don't like to tell people everything myself. I like to leave people with some things that can help them sort it out themselves, right? And so I want to give you guys a little a hint that can help you when you're reading Revelation, right? Any, any of you guys ever put together a puzzle? Mm -hmm. When you put together a puzzle, what do you start with? You don't start with the in-between pieces, do you? Okay. Well, most people get Revelation really wrong because they don't develop the border. And they start trying to put together the middle first. Uh -huh. And so they get lost in the minutia of the verses in between, uh -huh. which are some fantastical imagery and symbolism, <laughs> but never understanding the borders. Uh -huh. Okay, so something you, you want to, and that's what I kind of wanted to do when I was here with Revelation, is I wanted to f put the border together for you. Uh -huh. So that in having the border, that could start helping you interpret the middle. Because once you have the border of a puzzle put together, it starts telling you where to, what you're looking for, right? And then you start to see how it fits, and it helps you fill out the middle real easily. So if you can understand the border, or you can understand what Revelation is actually talking about, it will help you start piecing together the in-betweens. Mm -hmm. And it will act as a guide to you, right? And helping you get together what is actually going on there. Most people miss that. You get so caught up in the horsemen. Right? You get so caught up in the seals or the bowls of judgment. Right? You get so caught up in the fire that you, you, you don't have the border set up. And then we come with all these private interpretations of what we think all those things are, not knowing the border. And I promise you, we get it all wrong. I, I'm going to tell you some things about the four horsemen that will re really make, you, make, make your head spit around. And we'll just read this one verse right now. Um, how many of you think that the horsemen come from God? I thought so. If everyone was honest, they would all say, yes. <laughs> I don't know. And everybody would say they do. <laughs> we'll get to that maybe the, the, the next tomorrow, because I don't have time. I'm going to set up some of the, the parameters of Revelation. But this is Exodus <laughs> chapter 15, 1. This is a famous, famous verse mm. in the Hebrew nation and the children of Israel and the ministry of Moses, right? Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. No, I know. Do you see what it says? The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
the horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. So just keep that in the back of your mind for when we, we go into the four horsemen. Um, but when you talk about the, the letter of, of Revelation, the, the book of Revelation is not about the bad and the horrible that is to come. It's not about the bad and the horrible that's to come. It's about the darkness and the death and the chaos and the earth being swallowed up with light and life. That is, that's what it's about. If you read in Isaiah, it talks about God declaring the end from the beginning. Well, what's the beginning? Genesis. Genesis. So he says he'll declare the end from the beginning. So what he's telling you is the revelation of what revelation is about can be found in the beginning. In the beginning of what? Genesis. And if I had to take the letter or the book of Revelation and pick another book in the Bible that is the most close related to the book of Revelation, do you know what it would be? Genesis. Genesis. Do you know why? Because the book of Revelation is actually a book about creation. And it's God declaring the end from the beginning. God actually declared Revelation in the first chapter of Genesis. What does it say about there being darkness and chaos and confusion upon the face of the deep? What do you see in, in Revelation? Do you see darkness and chaos and confusion upon the earth? Isn't that what you see? And then what does God do? He says, let there be light. He says, let there be light. And what happens? Light enters into the earth. And what does it say? That the light separated itself from the darkness. When you read that in the Hebrew, it says it divided the darkness asunder. The book of Revelation is the completion of what God began back in Genesis. And I'll, I'll connect some imagery, but when Jesus comes down on the white horse, it says, with the sword of the Spirit coming out of his mouth, and it says the word is written in his vesture, do you know what we're all going to hear? Let there be light. And you know what that light's going to enter the earth to do? To give the earth shape and form. The same thing that the light entered the earth in Genesis to do to give it shape and form. And do you know how it's going to give the earth shape and form? The same way that it did in Genesis. It's going to divide the darkness asunder. Jesus is going to come on in the earth on a white horse. It's not with the physical sword that he comes. He comes with the sword of his... It says it comes out of his mouth. And so it's a word. It's a voice that comes out of his mouth. And the word that comes out of his mouth, that's why he's on a white horse. Let there be light. He is the light that entered into the earth in Genesis. And God is declaring the, be, the, end, the beginning from the end. And what did he begin in, to do in Genesis? What was God's plan in Genesis? If you don't understand what, what was in God's heart in Genesis, if you don't understand what God set out to do from the beginning, you'll never understand Revelation. And if I'm being honest, I never understood what God set out to do in the beginning. I never understood what was really in his heart. And if I'm just being honest, you won't even understand the gospel if you don't know what God's plan was from the beginning. Amen. If you don't know what he was after, if you don't know what he was trying to do, you won't even understand the gospel, much less understand revelation. So he wanted a relationship with us. Well, that's a, a simplistic way of saying it. Right? There's a whole lot of in-between there. What is the hope of God? It sounds weird to say it that way, but what is the hope of God? Relationship. Relationship, but what's involved in that? So we have all these thoughts, relationship, relationship, relationship. But what does that look like? How does he bring it about? How does he want to enjoy this relationship? What does this relationship look like? I'm just going to be honest. Those things are true, but for most of my life, that was just a cliche. Right. 
Rick and I talk about it a lot. Christian cliches. We know all the cliches. But when it comes down to it, we don't really know what that looks like. And it leaves us in a very, very uh, dark place sometimes. And so it begin, the letter begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It starts off by telling you that this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the revelation of Jesus Christ? If you keep reading in the first chapter, it talks about Alpha and Omega. If you read in the last chapter, it talks about Alpha and Omega. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the revelation of what God was always after for his life with man. Jesus Christ is what God released out of himself into the earth to accomplish his purpose and his desire for his life with man. So let's talk about he wants his life that he wants to live in you. Mm-hmm. It, well, that's a, a sidebar. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about what was God trying to work when he released Jesus Christ into the earth? Yes, he wants to produce his life in you. Absolutely he does. Reconciliation. Alpha and Omega. But what would it be before there was ever sin? Because Jesus yeah. entered the world when there was no sin. That's true. And so God's Why desire is? predates sin. Sin didn't change the plan. It's just that Christ is so much that even should sin enter the earth, he could swallow it and reconnoiter and bring it back to the original purpose. Right? So the revelation of Jesus Christ is the revelation of what God always intended to do and what he always set about to do that he began in Genesis. Right? It's the revelation of Alpha and Omega. It's the revelation of the light that entered into the earth. It's the revelation of what God has always been after for man and earth and his life with man in the earth. That's what it's the revelation of. And you know what God always intended? Us to be one. Us to be one, but what does that look like? Because you could be one and be a vapor in the sky. I mean, it says in the beginning, God, the chief of all things, made heaven and earth. The heaven and earth that he made there is physical. Him to dwell in us. It's not a spirit. No. He made a physical earth. And he made a physical heaven. Those two things are physical. To live in physical man. He made a physical heaven and he made a physical earth. To have a physical and, and then he brought forth a physical life in the earth. Made it his image. And then what does he do? He gets down to where he's gonna make he, he looks through everything. And he didn't find anything that could quite satisfy his desire for a friend. Right? The trees are nice. The animals are nice. The whales are nice. Right? But it's like that Queen song. Find me somebody to love. Find me somebody to love. Find. So there's God making the trees. Find me some. The trees are nice. Find me. Some of the dogs are nice. Find me. Nothing quite grabbed his attention. Right? No, these things are nice, but I, that's, I don't really want to be a dog for all eternity. <laughs> What about chimp? Trees are, chimps are nice. <laughs> I'm getting closer, but I don't really want to be a chimpanzee for all eternity. You know, my great uncle trained chimpanzees. I don't know if I told you that. You can look it up, Zippy the Chimp. You can Google it. Oh, I know that. Yeah. yeah, my uncle trained Zippy the Chimp. Oh, my goodness. So then, he's, then it says God made man in his image after his likeness. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's kind of weird because he made us in human bodies. That's right. Mm-hmm. So God first thought of, what would, where do I want to spend all eternity? What is the thing that can best give expression to all that I am and all that I have in myself? What is the greatest avenue for all that I am to be animated? What can really animate everything I am? And he decided a human body. 
So God first decided where he wanted to dwell. Before he made any of you. Before he made any of us. He first decided he wanted to dwell in human flesh for all eternity. And then he said, let us make man after our image. In our image, after our likeness. And so you have to begin there. God made a physical earth. He made a physical man. He's busy with physicality. That was the plan. So the plan was that there would be a glorified earth and that man would be glorified in the likeness of his immortality, dwelling in immortal flesh that could never die, and that he would be dwelling in immortal flesh with man in a glorified earth where there's no death. And he would walk with us all the days of his life, and you could touch God. I mean, Jesus coming to the earth, and what does it say about Jesus? He's Emmanuel. And how does it describe Emmanuel? God with us. God with us. What does it go on to say? Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Wonderful counsel. Oh, that's the Godhead, isn't it? That's good. That's God. So what was God's original intent, guys? To dwell in immortal flesh. To dwell in immortal flesh and for us to dwell in immortal flesh and for us both to dwell together in a glorified earth where there was no death. Yes. The and bring light into darkness. That's what he desired. That's bring what he set about to do from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what he set about to do from the beginning. Now, how many of you think you're dwelling in a glorified earth right now? Not you. This is not the new earth. Do you think there's death in God? No. If there's no death in God, then do you think we're going to dwell in an earth that has death in it? No. Is that our inheritance? No. An earth that has death in it? Do you see any death in the Lord Jesus? No. He has a physical body. Where's the death in him? The revelation of Jesus. It was swallowed up in victory. It was swallowed up in victory. (laughs) That's right. And so God set about in the beginning for the... Adam was naked. We we, we don't realize this, but you notice in Genesis how it said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, then it just just says, in his image made he male and female. It doesn't say the likeness part. Adam was naked. The likeness is his immortality. If you're naked, you don't have immortality. The scriptures talk over and over about being clothed upon. Adam was clothed upon by the life of his lamb. Adam didn't have immortality. You can't create somebody with immortality. God, the only immortal. The only way humans can inherit immortality is by believing on the only one who is an immortal. That's That's the only way it can happen. So Adam, an an immortal person can't die. No. You think God can die? No. No. Why not? Okay, then how can we say Adam was created immortal when God come and told he him he could die? Right. We don't read the scriptures. No. I know we've been taught about some spiritual death. That's not how God described the death. No. He said you'll return to the dust of the ground. That's right. right. He said from the dust you came to the dust you'll return. That's, right. That's how God described death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard for everyone, guys, but I had to do it first. I don't get to decide what death is. Neither does anybody else because God said. Right. And so I don't get to come and say it's a spiritual death. Jesus didn't die a spiritual death. No. He is the spirit. Mm-hmm. So are we going to say Jesus died a spiritual death? Mm-hmm. No. How are we going to say that? Do you know what Peter says about Jesus' death? Mm-hmm. It says he was put to death in the flesh. That's right. Yeah. The scripture says a body you prepared for me. That I might be able to take death into the body. 
Because I'm an incorruptible seed that can't die. That's right. Right? And if I can put on a body that can die, what can happen is when I take death into this body that can die, because I'm an incorruptible seed, I can raise that body up out of death yeah. never to die again. Amen. And then we can create man after our likeness. Yeah, like we decided from yeah. the beginning. And then we can pour out onto all flesh the spirit that can raise them all up in our image after our likeness. Now are we the image of God. The likeness of God is immortality in the body. Jesus said, touch me, handle me. A spirit doesn't have a body. Where's the bones in the grave? It says that they went to the grave and there weren't any bones. Mm -hmm. He went and ate fish with them. We're talking about what God's always been after. What is he after? He's after your body being in the likeness of his immortality. The same likeness we see in the Lord Jesus. That's, right. That's what he began. And he wanted to dwell with you in an earth where there's no death anywhere. That's, right. That's what he was doing. Amen. That's what he's trying to do. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God bringing to completion what he began in Genesis. Mm. That's why it says he's Alpha yeah. and Omega. The beginning and the what? You know, the beginning doesn't just mean like the beginning, like the starting line. And the end doesn't mean like the finish line. The beginning in Hebrew, do you know what it means? It means to set about into something with the intent to produce. And omega means to bring about the fulfillment or the completion of something that you began. So God sat with the dream for his life, for his, his life with us, and where we would have this life. And he starts making, creating the heaven and the earth. And then he makes man in his image. And the original earth was also incorruptible? The original earth was under the dominion of Adam. So that's a great, that's a great question. God's not looking for a lapdog. He's not looking for a jester in the court. He's not looking for somebody to do tricks with him, for him, so he can get his laughs. He's looking for a co-heir, an equal. If you notice in the old world when there was monarch, a lot more monarchs, kings and queens, right? Princes and princesses. If you were uh, a king or a queen or a prince, you couldn't just marry a peasant. You had to marry somebody that also had a kingdom. Right? And that would be a equal with you or a co-heir. So when God thought of being with somebody, he thought of reigning with somebody, not reigning over somebody. Yeah. And so what he wanted was for this person to have their kingdom also. So he made the heaven. The heaven is his throne. It's a physical heaven. Yeah. Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven. Stephen said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's right. When Jesus ascended into the heaven, do you know what it says? That this same Jesus that ascended in a physical body is coming back in a physical body. That's, right. mm-hmm. That's what it says. Yeah. That's what it says. And so Adam had a kingdom, the earth. That's why, if you notice, God, when God spoke everything into existence, you notice how God spoke everything into existence? We yeah. like to say that a lot, don't we? You notice how he didn't speak Adam into existence? That's the only thing he didn't speak into existence. That's right. Do you know what he did with Adam? He took him from the substance of everything else he made. Do you know why he took him from the substance of everything else he made? Because that would make Adam reigning on this earth. He had dominion over this earth. As it went with Adam, so goes it for the earth. 
That's why when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and death came into him, where did death also come into? The earth. So God has his kingdom, heaven. And Adam has his kingdom, earth. And what God wanted was for the physical heaven and the physical earth to collide. In the Garden of Eden, when you look at ancient Hebrew diagrams, is the place where heaven and earth met. And that's where Adam and God walked together. That which was heavenly with that which was earthy. And the whole point was that God could influence Adam to eat from the tree of life. And if Adam could eat from the tree of life, heaven and earth would collide. Right? In Genesis, it talks about seas being between heaven and earth. A dividing. And so those seas would have been removed. Yeah. I'm jumping ahead, but when you get to the end of Revelation, it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. There is no sea. It says there's no sea. Yeah. For it's been removed. Yeah. What sea? The sea that was there in Genesis. Mm. Do you know something else you find in Genesis in the first several chapters? The only time it doesn't say it is good is when it talks about a sea being between heaven and earth. Yeah. Mm. And then right after it says the new heaven and the earth in Revelation, and the sea isn't there anymore, do you know what Jesus says? I am Alpha and Omega. It is done. Yeah. Do you know what it has done? It's the it is good that wasn't there in Genesis 1. Because it wasn't done yet. Adam hadn't been clothed in immortality. The earth hadn't been baptized in immortality yet. Because Adam had dominion over the earth and he hadn't eaten from the tree of life. Yeah. And the Lord put him out of the garden so he wouldn't eat of the tree of life and live forever. In death. In death. In death. God wouldn't grant eternal yeah. life to worship. death. <laughs> so Revelation is about God bringing about a collision between heaven and earth. It's amazing to me that we get to the new heaven and new earth in Revelation and we want to take away the physicality of it. I just want to read Hebrews 1 for everybody. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. This is what it says. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Alpha and Omega entering into the earth and making the heavens and the earth. That's what he's talking about. And he says, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Listen to what he says. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth an old garment. And as a vesture, thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. That's God talking about the heaven and the earth that was made in Genesis. A physical heaven and a physical earth that was made in Genesis. Does anybody think that this earth isn't physical? It says that Jesus was a heavenly man. And it describes Jesus being an incorruptible flesh. So he's a heavenly man, but he has physicality. Heavenly doesn't mean lacking physicality. Spiritual doesn't mean lacking physicality. It means lacking death. It means without death. That's what it means. And so when you get to the new heaven and the new earth at the end of Genesis, it's talking about the physical heaven and the physical earth having collided. Because when Jesus comes on the white horse, he's bringing heaven with him. And he's bringing everybody with him that believes. And heaven and earth are going to collide. And you know what's going to happen in the earth? The light that manifested in Genesis is going to manifest in the earth. And death is going to be removed from the earth. 
and we're going to be clothed in glorified immortal flesh. And we're going to see God himself standing there, and he's going to look like Jesus, clothed in glorified immortal flesh. And we're going to dwell in a glorified earth where there's no death, and death can never come in again, and we'll never see or taste death ever again. It says that there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil anymore. Go and read the end of Revelation. It says only the tree of life is there. Do you know why? Because Jesus took an axe to the root of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is where we get this is where we get it twisted with human beings, myself included. We struggle to understand the difference between the first fruits and the final manifestation. Right? So heaven and earth has collided in you. Because you're that which was earthy, you were born into this world. Yeah. Right? But then you believed on the Lord Jesus. And that which was heavenly and that which was earthy Amen. collided. Amen. So heaven and earth have collided in you. That is a true statement. Heaven and earth have collided in me. Heaven and earth have collided in you. Heaven and earth have collided in you. Heaven and earth have collided in all of us. We have the first fruits now. We're walking heaven in the earth. But that's not to say that there's not a physical heaven and physical earth that is the final manifestation. That's true. Paul talked about all of creation groans in travail. Desiring for the manifestation of the sons of God. And he didn't just say they groan. He said, we're groaning with them. And he says, we're groaning, waiting for the adoption. And then he describes the adoption. To wit, the redemption of our body. He said. Do you know what the redemption of your body looks like? Death removed from it. Divided asunder by the light of God's life. Just like it divided asunder in Genesis. Do you know why creation is waiting for that to happen inside of us? Because we were taken from the dust of creation. We were taken from the substance of the earth. So the moment we're glorified with immortality, earth. poof, the whole earth and the whole of creation is going to be glorified yeah. with immortality. Hallelujah. That's why Alpha and Omega entered the earth. And Revelation is talking about Alpha and Omega finishing what they began in Genesis. Hallelujah. All right. It's <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. So, oh, hold on, hold on. The word revelation means apocalypto. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Apocalypto. Yeah, an unveiling. A revealing. Mm-hmm. A revealing of what? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But what is the revealing of Jesus Christ? It's the revealing of the work of God and what he was always after. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why John writes this letter. It doesn't just come to him out of the blue. I think it'll be nice. I know we get together and we prophesy. Glory to God for that. But John wasn't just like, hey, I think it'll be cool to prophesy today. You know, it'll be good. Let's do it. John was on the Isle of Patmos. And he was suffering great tribulation. And so was all of the early church, suffering great tribulation. Let's just read it. I'll just read it real quick. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see how he talks about patience? What is he patiently waiting for? 
the fullness of time. Absolutely. But why is a guy who heaven and earth has collided in say he's waiting patiently? And why does he say to them that they're waiting patiently? What are they waiting for? What is it they're waiting for? And so glorification for everything that I just described to happen. Now, why would that be relevant now? Because these guys, I don't know if you guys realize it, they were wrapping these dudes up on a torch and burning them. I promise you, there ain't no burning up of the righteous in the new earth. No. The blood of the saints is not being spilled in the new earth. I promise you that. And so John is suffering tribulation. What happens when you suffer tribulation? You're being tempted to take up your own life. You're being tempted to walk after the flesh. The whole church was suffering great tribulation. And John gets caught up by the Lord to see a vision. And what is the vision that he sees? He sees a vision of what God's going to do in the earth. And how God's going to remove death from the earth. And how God's going to bring a plague to death. And how their bodies are going to be glorified with immortality. And immediately John's soul is saved from the tribulation he's experiencing. Because he sees he has a certainty that death will be removed. It says death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. What do you need to hear when death is tormenting your life? You need to hear that you have a certainty that death is going to be consumed. You need to hear that you have a certainty of dwelling in this earth. A person very dear to me got diagnosed with cancer. I almost didn't come here because of it. Because I thought I need to stay. And it warred against my soul. And it was filling me with angst. And what I needed was a certainty that that cancer couldn't take their life from them. I needed a certainty that I'm going to dwell with them in a physical earth that's been glorified where there's no death. I needed a hope that there was going to come a day where I was going to stand before my God with them in glorified immortal flesh. And what is it that Job says? When his wife says, just curse God and die. This one thing I know. My Redeemer is alive, and I will stand my, before my Redeemer in flesh, he says. That's right. In flesh. So John sees people with death coming upon them. He sees the tribulation happening in the church. God sees it, and God says, these guys need a hope. The word hope means certainty. These guys need a certainty that life is going to manifest in them, and life is going to manifest in the earth. Let us give John a vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let us show John what Alpha and Omega is going to do. Let us show John that Alpha and Omega is going to divide asunder death and darkness from the earth. Let us show John that the place of the dead and that death itself is going to be consumed in the fire of God's life. Let us show John the new heaven and the new earth wherein there is no death. Let us show John how the blood that's been spilled in the earth by the system of Babylon is going to be completely wiped out and that there'll be no history of death. Let us show John so he can write a letter to the churches and the churches can be filled with the hope, with a certainty that life will overcome death and they can be saved in their soul. Amen. That's what he's talking about. This is what God began from the beginning. This is what he was after from the beginning. And it's interesting that it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. This would really help people because I find people have lots of opinions. Jesus is the sure word of prophecy. He's the word made flesh. So when you want to think about the things you believe, if you don't see it in him, it ain't true. 
So what does is, what is Jesus look like now in a physical body? Is there any death there? No. no. Well, he, he, his body came from Mary, which means it had dust originally. And then that dust body was what? Glorified with immortality. So how will we, do, do we see any death in him? He's the new man, isn't he? So then how will we know what the new earth will look like? There won't be any death in it. How do we know that the new earth won't have any death in it? Because we see the new man doesn't have any death in him. And that discerns our doctrines. We aren't left with our own opinions. Right? Amen. Pretty simple. When it's true. <laughs> Let there be light. It's Jesus. <laughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ. No. That's the revelation of God's eternal purpose. If you keep reading in Revelation, Jesus is called the spirit of prophecy. That's mm-hmm. right. yeah. What's the spirit of prophecy? You know when God prophesies, you know what he prophesies for? To bring about his purpose. Mm-hmm. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ is the revelation of God's eternal purpose. The purpose he began in Genesis when he said, Let there be light. What he began when he made the heaven and the earth. And then he took man out of the dust and breathed life into that man and gave him dominion over the earth. Why is it that Jesus could reconcile us back to God? He had to become a man. And he had to take on a body that could die. Because in order to reconcile God's plan, he had to have glorified immortal flesh. Well, the only way he could have glorified immortal flesh is if he entered into a flesh that was dying. And then after entering into a flesh that was dying, he didn't do what the first Adam did. Jesus didn't try and clothe himself like the first Adam, did he? But there's the death that came upon him, just like it came upon Adam. Jesus was stripped naked, just like Adam was stripped naked. But in the place of Jesus being stripped naked and death come upon him, Jesus didn't try and clothe himself. He called out to the Father to clothe him. And in doing that, he shed the body of corruption. Hebrews says he shed his blood. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. For corruption can't inherit incorruption. So Jesus had to inherit the kingdom of God inside of a physical body. But in order to inherit the kingdom of God, he had to put off flesh and blood. His blood shed out of his body. He was raised in a body that no longer had blood. He was raised in a body that wasn't corrupted by sin and death anymore. Now he could appear into the heavenly place in the presence of God and receive the kingdom of God as a human being, thus reconciling God's original intent back to its purpose. Amen. Why do you think Jesus had to appear in the heaven? It says Jesus appeared in the heavenly tabernacle. That's right. What do we think? That's not a real place? It even says he appeared with blood. It says Moses made an earthly tabernacle according to what he saw where? Heaven. That was Jesus reconciling that which was earthy with that which is heavenly. Right? Born of a woman. Born under the law. Jesus said in John 17, I have authority over all flesh. Because I'm a man. What's he saying? I have dominion. I come in the likeness of the first Adam. I come to do what the first Adam didn't do. I come to give you a certainty, oh God, that heaven and earth will collide. I come to give you a certainty that I'll be the first born from the dead and there'll be many more after me that will also be born from the dead in glorified flesh. I come to give you a certainty that heaven and earth will collide and you will dwell with your people in a glorified earth. Which is what Alpha and Omega says at the end of Revelation. I am Alpha and Omega. It is done. The tabernacle of God is with man. 
So Jesus comes as a man, dominion over creation. And as a man, he doesn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. He didn't try to clothe himself on the cross. He trusted in the Father. He hid his face from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was taking an axe to it. <clears throat> you know, like George Washington with the cherry? Was it the apple tree or the cherry tree? Cherry. cherry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Jesus on the cross. Spiritually speaking, he was taking an axe to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was liberating earth yeah. from death because there he was, earthy. He had an earthy body. Right? right? And then he shed his blood from his body. Listen, guys, we're not going to have blood in the new heaven and new earth. Mm -hmm. right. Do you know blood is actually the result, if you study in medicine, blood is the result of your bones working. Mm -hmm. Your bones working to keep your body alive. It's producing blood to keep your body alive. Well, listen, man, the Holy Spirit is what's going to keep our body alive in the new earth. You're not going to need oxygen to breathe. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that animates us. And so Jesus shed his blood. Now he doesn't have any blood. Now he ascends into the heavenly tabernacle with his blood testifying he didn't trust in his own works. He trusted in God. Well, there's Satan trying to stand opposed to him. Go read Zechariah. It prophesies of it. So there's Jesus as a man coming to inherit the kingdom of God. There's Satan trying to stand against him inheriting the kingdom of God. And what does Michael say? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand that's been plucked out of the fire? Is this not a man that has shed his blood? Is this not a man that sits here in front of our face in a body free from sin and death? Is this not a man that can inherit the kingdom of God inside of his, inside of his physical body? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Poof glorification bam and Jesus sits down <laughs> heaven and earth reconciled earth reconciled back to God's original intent mm -hmm. well, why doesn't it happen now why doesn't it just happen now listen man if there isn't a period of time in between when God does what he does and when the full manifestation of it happens then there's no time for people to receive the gospel that's right Listen, I just got to say, and I'm sorry, Rick can rebuke me after I'm gone or even tomorrow if he likes. <laughs> he can rebuke me if he likes. But like I already mentioned, Adam wasn't created immortal. Amen. An immortal person can't die. Amen. If you study ancient Jewish rabbis, yeah. they all say Adam was made from the dust mm -hmm. and he was earthy. And he possessed the ability to return to the dust of the ground or to ascend above the dust of the ground and enter into a heavenly state. Mm -hmm. They all say it. Mm -hmm. And so Adam's not eternal. We, we, have count, we have counted eternal life a common thing. Even the devils, we say, have eternal life. Yeah. Satan has eternal life. He's going to live forever. No, he isn't. I don't know how he's going to live forever. Is God going to grant eternal life to death? Didn't God refuse to grant eternal life to death when he put Adam out of the garden? Yeah. And he said, lest Adam eat from this tree and live forever? Amen. Yeah. That's right. And so there's got to be a period of time for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You notice when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, a clove of fire was over their head? It's the fire of God's life they were baptized in. God's a consuming fire. His life is a consuming fire. Do you know the only thing a fire can't consume? Another fire. Another fire. So God doesn't want people to perish. He's not wanting people to perish. But in the day he shows up and manifests the totality of his life, 
all death, all sin is going to be consumed. Well, he's got a big problem. He doesn't want any of us to die. So he's got to get it right to pitch us within and without with the fire of his life. So that when he comes in the fullness of his glory to baptize this earth in eternal life, we're going to be clothed in the same fire. Right? We're going to be glowing with the same life. Right? Just like with Noah. Amen. Noah had to be pitched within and without in the ark. Listen, man, it's an interesting thing when you read about Noah. Do you know what it says about Noah? It says Noah and the eight were saved by the flood. Amen. It doesn't say they were saved from the flood. It says they were saved by the flood. I'm just telling you what it says. Go and read it. We, we all think that the flood's talking about God trying to destroy something. If you read Genesis in its proper context, what it says there in the Hebrew is that it grieved God's heart at the suffering man was experiencing in the earth. It hurt his heart. He saw the imagination that was in their heart was always filled with wickedness. Do you know what that word wickedness means? Laboring and toiling for life. He saw that man was laboring and toiling to give themselves life. And he saw because that was going on, it was producing all sorts of the fruit of death in the earth. And it hurt his heart real bad. And he saw death was the problem. And so what he said in his heart was, let us cleanse this earth from death. Isn't water a sign of baptism? Yeah. Don't we talk about the washing of the word of the water? Yeah. I mean, why do we get cleansed with the water? And so God wanted to cleanse the earth from death. That's what it's prophesying of, but he's got a problem. He likes us. <laughs> and so he doesn't want us to die. And so he has Noah start building this ark. And it says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We think that means Noah was telling the people they were bad people. No. Go read Psalm 40. Do you know what it says about a preacher of righteousness? It talks about somebody that's pulled out of the miry clay by God, and they stand in the midst of the great congregation and declare his faithfulness to save them from death. Yeah. And so Noah was building the ark. The whole time he was building the ark, it was the Christ preaching to all of the people there in Noah's day. Yeah. And do you know what he was saying? God has heard our cry. He sees the way death is tormenting us. He sees how it's stinging us with fear and stinging us with sin. He's heard our cries. He's going to cleanse the earth from death. He has me building this ark so that we can be preserved from the end that's coming to death. Yes. He's bringing an end to sin and death, and he doesn't want you to perish with sin and death. It doesn't say that only eight could get on the ark. That's right. Any of them could have gotten on the ark. That's right. John would come and say it this way. They love the darkness more than the light. That's prophesying of how it's going to be at the end. Except it isn't a baptism with water. Just like John the Baptist. It says, I, John the Baptist said, I come baptizing them with water. But there's one coming after me that will baptize you in what? Fire. fire. Why? The fire is the ark. He's going to purge death from this earth. But he likes us. He really likes us. And so he sees in the day he baptizes this earth in fire. Anybody who's not clothed in fire. It's not that he's going to kill them, but they're going to perish. And so he's got to get it right to do a work to where we can be baptized in fire. And then there's got to be a period of time where he can declare the work that he did. So all those who want to be baptized in the fire can be baptized in the fire. Because he's going to glorify this earth. He is not going to let death continue in earth or in creation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he's long suffering he's not slack some people might think Lord Jesus when will you go mm -hmm. and then there's a whole bunch of people that got tired of saying that and they say he already came mm -hmm. 
I promise you, he ain't already come. There wouldn't be death here. Where's John walking around? Where's Paul? Where's my grandfather who was a believer? I don't see them. Are they not going to inherit the earth? Is the new earth not for them? Where are they? They ain't here right now. So this is what God's busy with in Revelation. This is what he's trying to do. This is what he's trying to accomplish. The scriptures talk about hell. Hell means the place of the dead. Jesus talks about Gehenna fire. Gehenna fire was a physical place. Sheol. Do you know what Gehenna fire was? It was a trash dump that they had outside of the city in Jerusalem. You know, the fire never stopped burning in that trash dump. It consumed everything till it was returned to dust. It would consume the trash, but it would also consume the body of criminals. And it would, they returned to the dust of the ground. You can't stand in the fire of God's light unless you're clothed in the fire of God's light. There's many, many, many Old Testament scriptures that talk about people perishing in the presence of the fire of God's light. You even have accounts of God telling Moses, set up a barricade around the mountain, Mm -hmm. lest anybody run up to the mountain and not break forth on them. Mm -hmm. Do you see what God's describing? He doesn't want to break forth on them because he understands in the day he breaks forth, they're going to die if they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so he didn't want it to happen. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife, right? She turned around and what happened? It says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Do you know what that is in the Hebrew? She was turned into dust, it says. Why was she turned into the dust? What did she see? The fire. Do you know what fire and brimstone in Sodom and Gomorrah actually means? We think God's sitting up there angry, smiting people. Like Zeus. <laughs> if the God you believe in looks like the Zeus you see in the movies, mm-hmm. take a deep breath, it's okay. But just recognize that that's a pagan God. That's right. And God can't look like a pagan God. Yeah. He can't look like the God that looks like Zeus. Do you know what fire and brimstone in the Hebrew actually says there? It says the theophany of God appeared. Mm. Do you know what that means? Mm. God showed up. Yeah. up. He just showed up. (laughs) His presence showed up. In the Old Testament, when they had the tabernacle, how did the presence of God appear? What did it look like? Fire. A fire. And who could stand in the presence of God? Only Moses. Mm. And he had to do all kinds of things first, didn't he? That's a picture of us having to be clothed in the glory and immortality of God in order to stand face to face with him. Mm. Sodom and Gomorrah is this God showing up. It says the people ran from him, doesn't it? They cowered away from him unto destruction, it says. It also says God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. That's right. Mm. So it's not like he showed up thinking with some bloodlust like we think. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Exodus, all those things give us insight into what it, what's going to look like on the last day. God didn't send the plagues in the Exodus. I'm going to get into this again. But, you know, people, you read Exodus and you think that it says God judged the Egyptians. It doesn't say God judged the Egyptians. You know what it says? God judged the gods of Egypt. Now, how do you judge the gods of Egypt? What do you do? I mean, how do you judge the gods of Egypt? Do you know how you judge the gods of Egypt? Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the earth. Do you know what that means? Jesus revealed that the life, that eternal life is only found in the Father. It's not found in your own works. Well, the gods of Egypt were gods that they worshipped. They worshipped the works of their own hands. Do you know what the God judged the gods of Egypt? Do you know what that means? He simply said, the gift those gods have to give you, the reward they will pay you with is death. That's right. But the gift I have to give is eternal life. That's right. 
That's what he said. Do you know every single one of the plagues that manifested in the Exodus, leading up to the Exodus, every single one coincided with one of the gods they were worshiping. That's right. If you read Revelation 18, it talks about Babylon, and it says the plague was in her. She's the one that had the plague. And all God did was reveal what was in her. The bowls of judgment. It's not God bringing forth a plague. It's God declaring Babylon has a plague. And when he declares that Babylon has a plague, Babylon can't give life. Babylon only has death in it. What happens is, is that death comes out. It says all things are laid bare in the presence of God. Nothing is hidden in the presence of God. Each one of the plagues in the Exodus coincide with one of the gods they worshipped. There was even a god of the firstborn. A god of the firstborn they worshipped. And the firstborn died talks about the destroyer the angel of death do you know paul called the destroyer the serpent in first corinthians well we read the destroyer and the angel of death and we think that's god but god's the lamb that caused the death to pass over the people the gift god has to give is eternal life the wages of trusting in your own works is death that was manifested in the Exodus because everybody that trusted in God's hand, what happened? Death passed over them. All the plagues passed over them. That's right. mm-hmm. yep. Every single one. And every single one of the Egyptians could have also had the blood. Mm-hmm. And some, it says some Egyptians did. Mm-hmm. Some walked out with the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Take the lamb, offer the lamb, put the blood on your doorpost, eat the lamb, eat the, the meat. Put the blood over your doorpost, and I will come and sup with you in your house. And I will cause the plague to pass over you. There's very simple things Jesus said. They accused Jesus of casting out demons by being a demon himself. And what did Jesus say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. But we have God as the one giving the plague and the one saving from the plague. We have God saving people from death in Revelation and giving people the death. Either sin gives people death or God gives people death. Are we going to now say sin and God are working together? Are sin and God powwowing together to serve people with death? It's just when God shows up. You notice when Jesus walked by someone that was demonized? Do you notice how the demon manifested? He didn't have to do anything, did he? It just came out in his presence. Does that mean he gave him the demon? Okay, so when God shows up and the death that's already in people manifests, does that mean he gave them the death? No. No. And he's not, there's a reason he hasn't come yet. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He knows what's going to happen when he comes to glorify the earth. That's why there's a period of time in between the work that he did and when he manifests the totality of it here. Because there has to be the preaching of the gospel. The declaration of the jubilee, which has come home to your inheritance. You have an inheritance. It's God himself. God himself is your inheritance. Come home. Right? Because he has heard our cries. And he is going to remove death from the earth. Just like he started in Genesis where he revealed the darkness being divided asunder. He's going to remove the death from the earth. He's going to remove death from the bodies of those who have believed. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. Right? Hebrews 10, it says the just shall find life by faith. It says, but those that cower away from me unto destruction, my soul has no pleasure in that thing. You know how the just find life by faith? They come to God when he shows up. 
they see themselves in his face. That's right. John says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. It's not yet seen what we will be, but we know that when he comes, we'll see him and we'll see that we're the same as him. When God comes in the man Jesus Christ, clothed in a flaming fire, the fire of his life, we're going to see him and we're going to see ourselves clothed in the same light. The Holy Spirit is going to baptize us, poof, boom, in the twinkling of an eye, it says. And we're going to see we look just like him. You know what's going to happen? We're going to come to him. We're going to say, Abba. Yeah. But if you don't see yourself clothed in the fire, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to cower away from God unto destruction, just like they did in Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Adam did when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he saw his nakedness. God doesn't want that to happen. That's why it says, if you go and read Hebrews 10, it says God's soul has no pleasure in that thing. That's right. Amen. The just shall find. That's why it says faith pleases God. Yes. Do you know why it pleases God for you to have faith? Yeah. Because he wants to reward you with eternal life. Yes. And he knows you ain't coming to him unless you have faith in your heart. Right. He knows you're going to cower away from him. Yeah. And you're going to condemn yourself to the second death. Yeah. And he doesn't want that to happen. He's gone to great lengths to keep us. Amen. Right? Yeah. I'm trying to paint pictures for you guys of what this looks like. So you can begin to see in Revelation. Right? The plagues, we'll get into the horsemen, but the plagues that manifest in Revelation, it's in the likeness of the plagues that manifested in Exodus. The judgments that Revelation talks about, remember, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't just read in your own concept of judgment there. You want to look at the Lord Jesus in John's gospel where he says, for judgment I came into the earth. And then he goes into talking about healing the blindness. Mm -hmm. He came to reveal that the Pharisees who thought they saw God did not see God. Right? Right? Right. And he came to pop open the people that were blind Mm -hmm. and that they would have sight. For judgment Jesus come into the earth. John says in the beginning that Jesus didn't enter the world to condemn the world. He entered the world to save the world. So his judgment isn't condemnation. His judgment is to reveal the Father is with us to save our lives. The Father loves our lives, and he doesn't want us to perish. And these, you can't have life by the works of your own hands. That's the judgment of Jesus. And so when Revelation talks about the bowls of judgment, the prince of this world, it's talking about God declaring that the princes of this world can't give you life. The serpent and his system can't give you life. And when he says that, do you know what's going to happen? What those things have to give is going to come out. That's not him producing it. It's already here. Is there anybody that thinks death and destruction ain't already here? Is there anybody that's confused about that? Like, it's already here. Like, I see it. Like, I got great friends in Ukraine. And all their families have been dislodged, and their houses have been burned up and destroyed, right? right? And their husbands have stayed back fighting. And many of these wives and children don't even know if their fathers and husbands are still alive. I have friends. These people are my friends. The destruction and the chaos is already here. Revelation is not a book that's talking about destruction and chaos coming into the earth. It's a book that talks about God coming to destroy destruction and chaos. The last days are the last days of death existing. Mm -hmm. The end times are the end of the time where death can be seen in the earth. And the revelation is the proclamation of that. It's the declaration of the death of death. Death is on death row right now. Mm -hmm. Death does not have eternal life. It's not a vibrant living thing. It's dying right now. 
It's dying right now, I said, and Revelation is the final fulfillment of death being completely erased from the history books. There'll be no more memory of death. That's what the last days are. Paul said that Jesus redeemed us, saving us from this present evil generation. This present evil age. What's this present evil age? The age where death is in the earth. Back where I live in Slidell, a little six-year-old girl died in the, the school pickup line. It's a gruesome thing. Like the car wasn't paying attention and they had kids running across. The, you know how the cars line up to pick up the kids? The car ran over this little girl's head. It's a gruesome, gruesome thing. Now listen, those people need to hear that death is going to be removed. Yes. And that they don't need to hear that their little girl is a spirit no. and there'll be a spirit one day with her. Do you know what they need to hear? That our little girl is going to be raised up in glorified immortal yes. flesh and we will stand with her in the earth where there is no death and we will hold her and we will talk with her for all eternity. They need to hear that God is going to rebuke the devourer, that he has rebuked the devourer, he is rebuking the devourer, and he shall rebuke the devourer. That's why Jesus said, I am him who was, him who is, and him who shall be. Yeah. What is the shall be? What we are talking about tonight, that's the shall be. Right? That's the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Death is on death row. It's the revelation of God destroying death. It's, none of us like that. If we started preaching the proper message, unbelievers might consider the gospel. No but we've come with this thing to unbelievers about how, well, God's very upset with you because you've been real bad. <laughs> you got a sin nature, don't you know? But if you can believe, then God will like you again. Mm. They're like, what you talk? This dude's already got something against me? I don't even know this dude. <laughs> but you know what every human being knows? They don't like death. Every single person knows it. Every single person feels something. And now you come with the word about how God don't like it either. And he knows what it feels like. All of a sudden, they can sit with the real message, which is God doesn't want you to die, and he's come and done something to whoop death's ass. <laughs> Forgive my language. If I offend you, you can pray for me. <laughs> but but my friend my friend and I, you know, the kinsman redeemer talks about taking vengeance on death. Right? And a friend of mine and I, we were talking about writing a book and we were going to call it Our Badass God. <laughs> but there's a Wyatt Earp movie yeah. with Kurt Russell. Mm. And they just robbed a train or something. He catches one of the guys and he's talking about the other dudes. And he's, don't kill me, Wyatt. Don't kill me. And he says, you tell him. Mm -hmm. You tell him I'm coming. Mm -hmm. And I'm bringing hell with me. Mm -hmm. Now listen, man. Jesus is coming. Oh, yeah. He's coming. And he's bringing hell to death. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what he's doing. Amen. He's a flaming fire. He's a consuming fire. Mm -hmm. And he's coming to consume death. He doesn't desire to consume people. He desires to save people. But it's like Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I came to gather to you myself, but you would not. God's coming to gather everybody to himself. It says in Revelation, the gates open. God can't keep anybody out. He would never keep anybody out. But they've got to come into the gate. And he's coming to gather everyone to himself. But if you don't have the faith of God inside of your heart, when that fire shows up, you ain't coming. And you're going to cower away unto destruction. And you're going to turn back into dust just like Lot's wife. You're not an eternal being. 
There's one immortal, Paul says, in Timothy. God, the only immortal. We've counted eternal life as a common thing. Everybody's got it. The devils have it. Where are you going to end up your whole life? That's all that matters. Mm. Yeah. No, where, no, no. That's where we get all the other things of it's about a place you, you go. Yeah. So we have to consider that. It's the earth. Yeah. God desires to dwell in the earth with us. And he desires to do it with no death. Where he can touch us. Wow. Where he can hug us. Where we can look God in the face. Look him in the face. This will mess people up, but you know, Adam and Eve, right? Adam's a picture of God. Eve came out of the side of Adam, right? Well, Jesus was pierced in the side, wasn't he? Well, Jesus is the last Adam, isn't he? What did the first man, Adam, say when he saw Eve? This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. On the last day, we're going to see the last Adam, Jesus. That's everlasting Father. You know what we're going to hear him say? This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. That's right. Right? You're going to see God. You're going to look him in the eye. We see God now in our hearts. We're face to face now in our hearts. But back to the first fruits thing. We have the first fruits of face to face with God now. I see God in my heart every day. There's some days I talk with God in my car. I tell him jokes. (laughs) He's the most tangible thing in my life. But the final fulfillment of the face to face I have now is going to be when I can look God in the face just like I look you in the face. And I can touch him. That's right. And I can sit and eat with him. Mm-hmm. That's what he always wanted. Why do you think we like hugs? Why do you think we like touch? Where do you think we get that from? What do we think happens to a human that doesn't have touch anymore? Is that good for their life? It's horrible, isn't it? Even You're right. Even little babies that are born prematurely, if they can put them on the mother many times, that keeps them alive. And they end up making it. Why do you think we have that? You think God doesn't want to touch you? You think he doesn't want to be touched by you? You think he doesn't want to fall on your neck and weep with joy? You think he doesn't want to, he hates the death more than we do. You think he's not looking forward to looking us in the face and be like. (laughs) (laughs) The tears are going to come out of our eyes. You're going to see tears in his eyes. You know why he's going to tell us, I know. I know. You think we're going to weep. He's going to weep. He knows. He put on a skin suit. You're talking about God in whom there's no darkness, no death. He never tasted death before. He put on a skin suit and he tasted everything we taste. He knows. I mean, he knows. He does not despise you for your weakness. He does not despise you for what you've done when the world came and crucified you. He's not ashamed of what you did when you tried to clothe yourself and when you tried to come down off the cross. He knows he's the only one that's not coming down off the cross. That's why he came. He's intimately acquainted with what hurts you. That's right. And he's going to weep with us. Tears of joy. When death is gone. Right? That's what he's after, guys. Revelation is bringing that out. You know how John in chapter 3 says the darkness doesn't comprehend the light? Do you notice that? Okay, well, did the darkness comprehend? Do we know what that looks like? I mean, Jesus is the light, isn't it? And what did the darkness try to do to the light? It tried to snuff it out, didn't it? It came upon the light at the cross, didn't it? That's giving us a picture, and I'll, I'll end with this that we can pick it up. 
because we've been here a long time. That's giving us a picture of what the war is in Revelation. We think the war is between all these different like people. You read in Daniel about the prince of Persia? Mm -hmm. Is that a person? Yeah, it is, isn't it? But we just read in Revelation about a war and all these things being gathered together, and we just assume it's talking about physical nations. Rome! America! The Pope! We come up with all these fanciful ideas. Back to Jesus is the Word made flesh about what the war is. The darkness doesn't comprehend the light. And if you look at that in the Greek and the Hebrew, what it means is the darkness doesn't just think it's going to bow down to the light. It tries to war against the light. So the darkness came to war against Jesus on the cross, didn't it? Yeah. Well, that is prophesying of the war that Revelation is talking about. Satan wants to war. He doesn't comprehend the light. And the prince of this world is going to manifest the fullness of his death and darkness just like he did at the cross. He's going to round up all of his demonic forces, the strength of his plague. He's going to bring it all forth in this earth. It talks about Satan being let loose. There's scriptures that talk about four angels being locked up and then being let loose. You think angels of God have to be locked up? And so the prince of this world is going to rile up all of his plagues, all of his death, all of his darkness to destroy God's creation because he doesn't comprehend the light. No. Here comes Jesus on a white horse. Yeah. Let there be light. <laughs> Boom. Boom. He divides the darkness. Boom. That's right. Just like he did in Genesis. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Good job. Wow. That's a good, good start. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, it's three years of Bible studies to go over. You didn't get it? You didn't get the verse? No, no, no. I didn't get why. I didn't get what by the flood. Saved by the flood. The flood came to save them from the death and destruction that was going on in the earth. Okay. It came to save them from the the hell that was in the earth. Okay. Right. And the ark was meant to preserve them. If you read about, he told Noah, pitch the ark within and without, Mm -hmm. right? So you'll be preserved. We're pitched within and without. That word is actually kafar. It means atonement. We've been pitched within and without with God's life. That's what it means you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You're in the ark of God's life, the fire, right? And so God had Noah making an ark. And for 120 years, it doesn't say, when it says, in man it will be 120 years, it's a misinterpretation of that verse. It doesn't say man can only live 120 years. What it's saying is, it'll be 120 years before the flood comes. Right? And so Noah, for 120 years, is building this ark. And do you know what he's telling people? God's going to cleanse the earth from death. He doesn't want you to die. So I'm building this big ark so you can be saved from the death in this earth. That's what he was telling them the whole time. That's what a preacher of righteousness is. Go look in Hebrews. It says Noah's a preacher of righteousness. Then cross-reference that with Psalms 40, where it describes what a preacher of righteousness is. I hate to keep saying this, but you don't get to decide what a preacher of righteousness is. You you don't get to decide. I don't get to decide. It was a painful thing for me when God told me you don't get to decide. Because I had already decided many things. And I thought I knew a lot. And he told me to take everything I knew. I'd already been to Bible college. Take everything you know and throw it in the garbage, Greg. (laughs) <laughs> I'd already been to a Grace Bible College when he told me that. That's right. That was painful because I thought I knew something. 
right? <laughs> but go and read Psalm 40. It talks about a preacher of righteousness and find anywhere in there where it talks about a guy condemning people. It doesn't. It talks about a guy who was in the miry clay. And this guy talking about how God lifted him up out of the miry clay because God is faithful towards his life. And I will stand in the midst of the great congregation and I will declare your faithfulness, O God. Faithfulness to do what? To save them, them from death, just like you saved me from death. Well, what is Noah doing? Standing in the midst of the great congregation and in building the ark, he was preaching to the people about God's faithfulness to save them from the destruction that was in the earth. Amen. He says, Noah found found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's right, yeah. And also, it says that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. In other words, in his descent. You know, the, the world was, there was mixed with the sons of God and the, the daughters of men. Exactly. And, and Noah was perfect in his lineage. And God needed, a, he needed a righteous seed in order to bring the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so had God not preserved Noah and his generation, uh, there, he wouldn't be able to fulfill the promise. Oh. Yeah. And what that means is Noah saw God was the father he needed. He saw God would give his life the care that he needed. That's what it means. He saw God's eyes were full of grace. Right. He saw God desired to preserve his life. He saw God desired to visit him with loving kindness. Right? It's the same thing we need to see. Same, it's the exact same thing that, that we need to see. Well, tomorrow we'll be here again. You guys are hardcore, man. We've been here for like three hours. You guys think you, you, you guys think you can wear me out? I could go for three more hours. That's good. People will people will be falling asleep. No, no, I don't think so. Does that make Lisa? Did that make sense about the Noah thing? Okay. Yeah, I just didn't when you said it. You didn't explain it, and I'm like. Yeah, no, I bounced around. If it, listen, guys, if any time I'm bouncing around, you're like, wait, 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 jump me back. I have no problem with you jumping in and say, "Hey, can you talk about that?" Right? Because I can. I'll you just need start to jump quick. I'll just start bouncing around. So at any point, feel free to jump in and do like Lisa did and say, "Hey, what about this?" Right? Well, yeah, but the waterfall one, is so one, profound. Yeah. One question yeah. for tomorrow that I really want to hit on is if God came and abolished sin, right? Why do we still talk about sin? We still talk about sin because God abolishing sin. It doesn't really say he abolished sin. It says he abolished death. And it depends on what you mean by talking about sin. Like he annihilated If you talk about sin, what you're talking about is iniquity, which is also a noun. Just like we talked about faith is a noun, mm-hmm. sin is a noun. Right. And so sin means trusting in the strength of your own hands. Mm-hmm. We talk about not trusting in the strength of your own hands. Mm-hmm. Because if you trust in the strength of your own hand, you're going to heap envy and gossip and backbiting and murdering to yourself. And if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus and you trust in the strength of your own hand, you're condemning yourself to death. Mm-hmm. That's why we talk about it. Right? Yeah. Okay. Keep thinking about that. Yeah. 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 Twist on it. Right. Good night. Good It's good to see you. Wisdom. Sin. 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 Sin.
I know. Can I stand? Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sitting there. 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 Oh